You know, the problems of the here and now threaten to overwhelm us, don't they? The problems that we face in the here and now, the present day problems, they threaten to overwhelm us. For instance, it is tax time. Can I get a witness? Okay, yeah, that's about the way we should expect the witness. Yeah, hallelujah. (laughs) So, um, you know, it is a headache, serious headache for clergy to do their taxes. Uh, Clergy taxes, I think, are, you typically have to have somebody who specializes in them. They're probably the most complicated type of taxes that accountants will say that they're out there because of all of the ridiculous laws. You know, like I'm a W-2 employee, except for I'm self-employed for the purposes of income tax and Social Security. I mean, it's just weird. You know, and then all the things that you have to worry about deducting and not deducting and making sure you stay legal. And, and then, you know, inevitably, you know, you end up having this huge, you don't have, a, maybe you get out of a tax bill, but you got a huge accountant bill because your taxes are just so ridiculous to, to do. And these are the kind of things that Sarah and I are facing. You know, these are the things, the tyranny of what's going on, the tyranny of the urgent, the tyranny of tax time. It's it's threatening to overwhelm us. But maybe there's something that will help resonate a little better with you. Because how many of you are clergy doing taxes? Okay, I just got John and I, so I need to get more people. All right. What about conflicts with family or friends? You know, those things that threaten to overwhelm. I have a friend right now who has a, a friend that she loves, has been friends with for years and years and years and years. And that friendship right now, it, it doesn't look much like a friendship. It, it, it's just going so poorly. And that threatens to overwhelm. Maybe, maybe that's similar to your story. Maybe you're having conflicts in that, or maybe it's conflicts with family, and you know, you've got some family that you're estranged from, and for whatever the reason, various reasons that have come in, and, and you're estranged from family. Maybe you haven't talked to your mom in years, or maybe you haven't talked to your dad in years, or maybe you haven't talked to your kids in years, or maybe it's, maybe it's only been a couple of days, or a week or two. But it, it threatens to overwhelm these kind of things, these conflicts. What about deaths or sickness? How many of us right now, and especially over the last few months, so many people being sick with so many different things, and that threatens to overwhelm us in the moment that we're at it. It becomes a central thing inside of our life that it's never meant to be because it's so here and now. Like I can feel it. You know, we can talk about spiritual things, but I'm waking up in the middle of the night coughing up a lung. You know, it's in the here and now. And I can experience this and it threatens to just take over everything. Or or my loved one died. Or a close friend died. Maybe they died not knowing Jesus. Maybe they did know Jesus. But the mourning, the grief, all of those things threaten to overwhelm. Or maybe it's job-related problems. Maybe you had a job and you thought everything was going great and all of a sudden you lost the job. Or maybe you're hoping that you will lose the job because it's going so awful there at the job. You know? You know what I'm talking about. So, (laughs) you know. Maybe you've got a boss that's just out of control. Or maybe you've got employees that are out of control or just aren't there. And so you're having to do all their work. Or maybe, maybe, you're on the, maybe you're on the verge of bankruptcy. Maybe your credit is, is, is just out of whack and, and you've gotten so far behind on your bills. The creditors are calling. The wolf is at the door. And, and the tyranny of, of this urgent stuff of the here and now is just threatening to overwhelm you. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, you are going to be a star of the new reality show instead of it's girls gone wild, it's kids gone wild. And your kids are just spinning out of control. Right? They're just doing their own thing. They're just going through life. They're, they're just going crazy. All of the ways that you tried to teach them growing up, they're just not following them. And your kids have just gone buck wild. I mean, all of these kind of things threaten to overwhelm us, don't they? I mean, now, 
if I if I've hit you with some of these things or one of these things, I, I got John and I on the clergy taxes. If if, if I kind of hit on some areas where you maybe threatening to overwhelm you, would you just show me by raise your hand? Okay, so I'm getting more. Okay, etc. Now, if I hit you, would you raise your hand? That should be everybody, right? I mean, we all have we all have junk that's going on in the here and now that is threatening to overwhelm us. The bottom line is this. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And these troubles threaten to overwhelm us and drag us under every single day. But Jesus did not stop at telling us that we would have trouble. He finished the statement by telling us to take heart because he's overcome the world. In other words, Jesus told us these earthly issues aren't the end. There's something bigger and grander waiting for us. These things that threaten to overwhelm us, even if it goes the worst possible way, it is not the end of things. Like, Kevin got that. That's it. Just Kevin. Alright? It's not the end. We have something grander, something bigger, something so much more wonderful waiting for us. So we need to keep our eyes on the prize. But what does this have to do with Hebrews 11 and the Faith Hall of Fame? I want to acknowledge to you before I show the Scriptures that I've already preached on this passage of Scripture in a really super similar way the sermon was called on fire for the lord okay but i think god is telling me to hit it again before we move on so today we're going to look once again at hebrews 11 verses 13 through 16 so i want you to go ahead and open your bibles to hebrews 11 verses 13 through 16 it's on page 1655 in my bible any of you uh, have a similar Bible to mine? Towards the end of your Bible, if, you, if you're not familiar with how to find scriptures in there. It's one of the latter books in the New Testament. So here's what it says. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. So it may be a little different than the translation you're reading from. That's okay. These all died in faith. Not having received the things. Not having received the things. It didn't go the way they were thinking. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We're going to go through this again. Because I feel like the Lord has said to me this week as as I was preparing that we don't get this yet. And that we've got to get it. Here, I told you we're going to move on next week. Unless the Lord tells me that we don't get it again, and I'm going to write another sermon about the same passage, and we're going to have another one. I feel like the Lord says this is critical for us to get, that we cannot move on until we get this. Until we get this. Until it sinks down into the very core of our being. So let's pray and ask the Lord to speak. Holy Spirit, We ask you to speak today to us, individually and collectively as a group. Father, I ask you right now through your Holy Spirit to destroy, just demolish all of our excuses, all of our lofty arguments, all of those things that we've built up as walls to stand against your truth. And not that we've intended to stand against your truth, but that we've just inadvertently done where it won't get in. And speak into us because we want to be your people. We want to keep our eyes on the prize. 
Lord, if I'm going to say something today that's not of you, I ask that you would strike it from my mind. If I'm going to forget something that is of you, Lord, I pray that you would bring it to my remembrance. And Lord, beyond all, that you would help me to stand in the shadow of your wings, to have the boldness to to speak your truth in love, to call sin, sin, to call righteousness, righteousness, and Lord, ultimately to see us return to this trust without borders that we sang about. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and God's people said, amen. So the folks in here, this passage of Scripture, says that these guys had trouble, right? Now, you may not be getting this out of this, this just out of these verses 13 through 16, but let's think about it. If you've done the homework when I've preached through chapter 11 so far, if you actually went back and read the passages of the Scripture that I give at the end of the sermon so that you can be up to date on what's going on and understand, you'll know this. Cain and Abel were feuding so much that Cain killed Abel. Right? If you read about Noah, because this is the first part of chapter 11, the folks that are mentioned. If you read Enoch, there's not a lot in the Bible about him. So we don't know what was going on. But Noah, he was mentioned there. He was given a task that must have got him ridiculed by those around him. Oh, it's going to rain and, you know, we got to... They're like, what's rain? You know, I mean, and it hadn't even rained yet, ever. And, and people probably ridiculed him. I mean, it tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness and he was preaching this message to, this folk, to these folks and people weren't repenting. They were probably picking on him and ridiculing him. He definitely had a big time job that he had to do back breaking labor. Right? He, he didn't have a, a, a fork truck to pick up the logs and move them into place. No, man. They did all this by hand. No power tools. Building something that had never been built before. He didn't, couldn't, he's like, hey, hey, Jeff. I heard you built an ark. Can you come over and show me how to do this? No, there was no, there was no ark. Jeff hadn't built one, right? It's backbreaking labor, and so Noah couldn't copy off of Jeff, couldn't get Jeff's expertise. And think about this: it says in the New Testament that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He ultimately washed all of his friends and his extended family, except for his wife, his sons, and their wives. Now, Noah, he had to have more family than that, right? Mom, dad, cousins, aunts, uncles. He watched them all die. Because they wouldn't listen. Right? I mean, amen? Didn't, I mean, this is horrible stuff that I'm sure was threatening to overwhelm Noah. And Abraham and Sarah, we talked about them. They had to leave the only life they ever knew. They had to go out with trust without borders into a strange land where they experienced wars that they never would have been involved in if they had just stayed home. Famine. Multiple times, Sarah was pursued by kings and potentates who could have who wanted to take her as their own wife and Abraham had to deal with that I mean think about it guys your wife's being pursued by another man and and yet you know if you stand up and go after him you're going to lose your life because it's the ruler of a country not to mention the shame that they couldn't have kids to carry on a family name until God miraculously intervened. So what's the bottom line? The men and women in the Faith Hall of Fame led lives that were full of trials, struggles, temptations, and downright awful things. I, I just got to say something. You got to hear this. With all the, with this is love, but it's a, but it's with a rod. Okay, get over this stupid idea that Christianity is going to make your life easy. If you've got that idea, get over it. It's just ignorant. 
It's, and, and I mean ignorant in the sense of uninformed. You got to get over that idea. Nowhere in Scripture did it say if you come to Jesus Christ, He'll give you everything that you wanted, life will be easy, and everything's going to be all good. No, He said something quite the opposite. He said it's still going to be hard. And in many ways, it might even be harder. Because you're now standing for something that people can't see, feel, touch, smell, you know, can't get it with your five senses. These men and women of the Faith Hall of Fame led lives that were full of trials, struggles, temptations, and downright awful things. And if they did, then so must we, because they're a model for us to follow. All this happened, however, under the promise of blessings that they never quite received all the way. Verse 13 says that. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them from afar off. Seen them and greeted them from afar off. Think about that. They were leading lives that were built upon trust without borders. Not built upon what God had done, but what God said He would do. They did not let these troubles and trials distract them from pursuing God and His promises, though. Because they knew this world was not their home. And if you want to know one of the main points that you need to get, it's this second point that's on this slide right now. They did not let these troubles and trials distract them from pursuing God and His promises, though, because they knew this world was not their home. Verses 14 through 16. Well, actually, let's start in 13b. Having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on this earth, For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would not, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for He's prepared them for a city for them. I'm not saying that they didn't have bad days. I'm not saying that they didn't have discouraging days where they thought, you know what, let's just quit. I'm sure they did. Just like us. I'm sure they had discouraging days, bad days. We're like, you know what? Let's just quit. But they did not let those bad days become the focus of their life. Your trials, your struggles, your temptations, all of the criticism that's aimed at you, everything that's going on in your life, it is not supposed to define you. This is not your home, friends. You are merely passing through. God is not going to restore this earth as a lot of restoration theology talks about. The scriptures tell us in Revelation He is going to destroy it by fire and create a new heaven and a new earth. So even if you last until He comes back, it still is not your home. So why in God's name do we let all the bad stuff, all the awful stuff, why do we let that be central to everything? Why is that who we are? Why does it define us? Why do we allow ourselves to continue to be drug under by this stuff? We need to, like they did, make a conscious decision. To focus on something else. It is an act of the will. It is not something that magically happens. Stop praying for God to magically fix it all. Make a conscious decision to focus on something else. He said, in this world you'll have troubles. But fear not, I've overcome the world. He didn't say, but fear not, I'll magically make it all go away. I mean, Noah is preaching and his family is destroyed except for his sons, their wives, and his wife. That's crazy. 
They had trouble, guys. What's your focus? What about you? What about you? I'm going to tell you some stories about real people that I know or have known in the past. Okay? Graham Harvey's a friend of mine. He's a pastor of a church. And back when he lived in Florida, he was counseling this lady. I don't know the lady's name. I never met the lady, but I trust Graham. Okay? To tell that his story is true. He's got his, he's got his uh, master's degree in, in counseling. So, you know, like he's trained to do this. Got it from a Christian university. This is not some hack job. This guy's good at what he does. And he's counseling with this lady who is caught up in bitterness and unforgiveness. Now listen to me. Listen to what she said. Graham is week after week, month after month, dealing with this, and it's never getting any better. And we continue to go around the same bitterness and unforgiveness mountain. And Graham says this word, these words to her as close as, as he could quote them to me. If you forgive this person, here's his question. If you forgive this person and let go of the past hurts, what will you have left? And she sat there in silence for a long time. And then she looked up at him and through her tears said, Nothing. Her bitterness, her unforgiveness, the conflict in her life, she had willfully chosen to focus on it for so long that it became who she was. When we focus on our problems, when those are central to everything that's going on in our life, it threatens to become who we are, how we define ourselves. And we find ourselves in this moment like where she is, where if I've, this has been who I've been so long that if I give it up, I, I won't know how to act. I'll have nothing. This is why women stay in abusive relationships with, with uh, uh, husbands and boyfriends because they've learned how to live inside of that reality and the reality they know that while it's awful, is so much better than what they don't know. And it defines who they are. I got a question for you today. Are you focused on past or present hurts? Listen, you're going to get a root of bitterness in your life. These, scripture talks about a root of bitterness. And it's going to turn into a tree. And it's going to overwhelm everything. Allie's teaching about Noah. No, she's not. She's teaching about Jonah. Allie's teaching about Jonah. And as soon as I started telling you the rest of the story, you guys have been like, hey, just like last week, it wasn't the, the Second Amendment. It was the First Amendment. Uh, <laughs> this, this week, it was uh, Jonah, not Noah. Jonah let a root of bitterness get so ingrained in his life that he would not go to the people that God was calling him to. Who the heck are the Ninevites? I'll tell you who they are. Capital of Babylon. The nation that had oppressed Israel. And he didn't want to go and take God's message of of needed repentance to them because he knew that if they repented, God would spare them. And so he said, no, I'm not going. A root of bitterness began to define who Jonah was. He was focused on past hurts and even present hurts. And it was defining him, it was controlling him, it was manipulating him. It was a way that the enemy of his soul was twisting it all. And let me tell you something, even after he went, I read the end of the book of Jonah, even after he went and they repented and they did all this stuff, he sat up on top of a hill overlooking the city, mad still. Bitterness still overwhelming him. For God's sake, don't be Jonah. Let it go, man. Let it go. Ask God to heal you. What about my wife, Sarah? I tell the story with her permission. My wife was born with a fibroid tumor on the ball of her foot. She had it amputated when she was nine months old. She had only a heel left. I know I'm going fast. I'm going to catch you up to where we're going to be talking about just back in 2009 or 8. Nine? Yeah, so anyway, um, my wife, she's, she's 
have these problems and and so she had to for years they've been telling her she needed to get her leg reamputated and instead of having her heel and her leg just being shorter they they thought she needed to get it taken off seven inches below the knee been telling her for years my wife who was a starting volleyball for on varsity starting volleyball player for a varsity team starting basketball for a varsity team in a very large school in denver how many people in your class sarah probably three four hundred just in her class about 1,200 probably in the school, okay? And she's starting. I mean, she had obviously overcome her disability, right? She's fought through. She's done all of these things. She has it re-amputated seven inches below the knee, and she wants to give up. My wife looked me in the face during the healing process and said, just don't, don't manipulate it anymore. Don't touch it anymore. Like the doctor said, I'm just going to spend the rest of my life in a wheelchair. For the first time in my life, as far as with my wife's physical stuff with her leg, I saw my wife getting ready to give up. This struggle was awful. I looked at her and I said, no, you're not. You're going to get up. You're going to walk. You're not going to let this define you. Are you focused on your physical limitations? Are you, are you focusing on those things? Are they threatening to overwhelm you? Are they threatening to, to decide who you are? Is it become a part of your identity? And you're like, that's it. I'm just going to be this way for the rest of my life. I'm just going to, this is just who I am. And everybody who comes in contact with me is just going to have to deal with it. We've got a friend, my wife and I have a friend who lost her job. Because of what she put on Facebook. A job from a secular school. My dad was a manager on the railroad. My dad, as a, as a high manager on the railroad, would let people go based upon what they put on Facebook. And my dad wasn't going, well, this is what the Bible says. It's not how my dad lived his life. This friend was let go because of what she put on Facebook. All she put on there was she was in a vague way ranting about people in her life. And her, her principal warned her, said, if you do it again, there's going to be consequences. And then she did it again, and she lost her job. <clears throat> now, here she is, a tenured teacher who's forced out because of what she put on Facebook. She got so focused on paying the bills. She got so focused on this isn't right and all of these things that unfortunately for a very long time, for another several years, she never learned the lesson. She got so focused on trying to pay the bills and all of those things and she was in, and just being wronged and this didn't happen. She's a believer and this just shouldn't have happened to me and she could not learn the lesson that she needed to. Are you like her? Are you focused on trying to figure out how you're going to pay your bills or, or how your, the provision's going to work out to remodel the house or, or whatever it is? I mean, are you letting those temporary things and you threaten to overwhelm you and missing out on what God's trying to do? God's trying to shape her character. And this is not the point of my sermon. Her, what she posted on Facebook is not the point of my sermon. But Facebook is not in your head, people. You put it out there, it's out there. It's not in your head. <laughs> Stop putting it out there. Keep it in your head. Or go process it with somebody, you know. Stop putting it out there. Because this is somebody we loved, who we believe loved the Lord. And just ranting about something got her candle. And then she couldn't even focus on what God was trying to teach her in her life. See, she got so focused on the problems and, the, and Sarah got so focused on the problem of her leg and, and this woman got so focused on the problem of her bitterness and unforgiveness that, that they couldn't see through it. You 
It just became this thing that made what happens here and now the primary thing in life. And they were missing so much of what God was trying to do in their life. And they lost the focus on the eternal things. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're focused on trying to prove that you're right at work. Or maybe you're trying to focus, maybe you're focused on, on trying to prove that that person who hurt you, it, it needs to repent. Or maybe you're focused on, on the physical thing that's going on in your life and, and how the disability is going to define you. Or maybe you're focused on the job and getting a new one or whatever. And, and I'm not saying that these things aren't things we have to deal with, but they're not to be the primary focus of life. So here's the question. The final one for this slide. Are you focused on the problems of this world or are you focused on the one who has overcome them by his grace? They both cannot be your God, but make no mistake, one of them is. And it's the one you choose to focus on. And I know, oh, preacher. It's so easy. It's so easy for you to get up there and and say this. It sounds really good and spiritual to focus on Jesus instead of the problem. But here's the question I know that some of you are asking, and I put it all in caps in my notes. Well, how the heck do we do that? Well, Jeff, I'm glad you asked. I can tell you that we shouldn't let the trials and temptations that we face overwhelm us and take our focus off of God and the eternal. But it's a whole lot harder to do that than, than it sounds. And so what are some practical steps we can actually take? Here's the number one thing. Now, if you're taking notes, listen to me. This is descriptive, not prescriptive. Okay? You know the difference between descriptive and prescriptive? Prescriptive is what everybody wants all the time. Tell me exactly how to do it and I'll follow those steps. You go on Christian blogs, seven steps to become a good mom you know 10 steps to increase your prayer life okay we can't you can't systematize your faith like that okay what i'm doing is not prescribing some steps so if you're taking notes great i'm not prescribing the necessary steps that you go i'm giving you principles and a description of how that might look in somebody's life it might look a little different in your life and that is totally fine amen so it's not a it's not a prescription it's a description of one way that it might be done right confess to god daily that these things are threatening to overwhelm you and ask for his help and i guarantee you if you do this and you sincerely mean it one day you're going to find yourself stopping confessing that they're threatening to overwhelm you And find yourself thanking him and praising him because he's taken it away. Not that the trial's gone, but that you're like, hey, God is walking through this with me. He is holding on to me. He is holding to my hand. How do I know this? Because of countless testimonies down throughout the generations. I mean, just the poem, Footprints in the Sand, that many of you are familiar with and might have hanging on your wall is totally what I'm talking about there. And if you're not familiar with Footprints on the Sand, go read it. I'm not going to tell you what it says. This doesn't mean we ignore the problems, but instead we put them in the proper perspective. By doing this, we are joining our lives with those in the Faith Hall of Fame who, according to 13b and 14, acknowledge that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they're seeking a homeland. God, I realize that this earth is not all there is to it, that there's more, that there's bigger and grander things to come. I confess that I'm having these struggles to you, and I'm asking you to help me with them. Now, understand when I'm saying this, maybe the, maybe when you confess, maybe it's become all the way to the point of sin in your life. Maybe it's not sin yet. Sometimes I can have a struggle that's not sin. Amen? Okay, so... But that's, so I don't mean confess sin. I mean, it might be sin. You might need to confess it as sin, but maybe not. Okay, so confess to God daily that these things are threatening to overwhelm you and ask for his help. And then forgive those who've hurt you. This means to take the focus off of present and past hurts. 
and realize in the process when you're forgiving those who have hurt you that you're the one that's captive, not them. If I'm, if I'm holding unforgiveness against Mark and Jimmy here and it's not hurting him, he didn't, I'm not, but you know, but, but it's not hurting him. It's hurting me. See, when you give forgiveness to somebody and you have this bitterness that's going on and you do that and you set the captive free, then all of a sudden you realize, oh, I was the captive, not them. They are probably blissfully going through life not worried about the fact that you're having unforgiveness and bitterness towards them and, and it, that it's eating you up. And some of you are struggling with that bitterness and unforgiveness. You know what I mean, because you're like, it doesn't even bother them. You know, you're like, you're, you're say, you say that, it doesn't even bother them what they did. You're the one with the problem. Not, I mean, I'm not saying that what they did was right. Forgiveness doesn't mean they're right. It just means you're not going to be in bondage to it anymore. So forgive those who've hurt you. Then rest in God's strength made perfect in your weakness. What this means, don't let your disabilities or your inabilities define you. Paul, the super apostle, three times prayed that his thorn in the flesh would be taken away, and God said, no. No. My grace is sufficient for you, for in your weakness my strength is made perfect. When you are weak, then I am strong in you. And you guys can remember Paul starting to say these things. When I am weak, he is strong. Your, your disabilities or your inabilities, they're no longer going to define you. Now listen to me. When I say they're no longer going to define you, if you have an inability to play basketball well, Amen. then don't be like, but they need to let me in the NBA. No, they don't, right? I mean, they need to let me on the Pirates. They do. Come on. A chaplain. I could be chaplain. I could be chaplain, right? But, uh, but, but seriously, you know, we can't let our... So when we say that our inabilities or our disabilities don't define us, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden we can go do stuff. No, Paul still had... The thorn in the flesh, probably his bad eyesight. Okay, and I know some of us struggle with that, saying, no, God healed him of his, of his eyesight when he healed him of being blind. Well, not according to Paul. He says in one of the letters, instead of his secretary writing, he said, I wrote this with my own hand. See my big letters? People who have a hard time seeing write big letters. Right? And then trust in God's provision. Okay, so you confess it and you're asking them to help you with it. This doesn't mean sit around with no job. But continue to trust him and honor him with all that you have. We knew this lady one time, her name was Angel. Her and her husband both lost their jobs and she's like, oh, it's God's problem. I'm just keeping writing checks. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, I, she was hoping for a bank error maybe. I don't know. That's not what I'm saying, Right? But even if I've lost my job, even if all those things have happened, I continue to honor God with what I do have. This means maybe I've lost my job and my wife hasn't lost her job and I continue to tithe on her income. Even though everything says, pull it back in the flesh, I say, no, God, I trust you. This is just one example. So we trust in God's provision and then the final thing that we do is take all of our thoughts captive to Christ. But how do I do this? By seeking godly counsel. Listen to me. I want to emphasize some words here. By seeking godly counsel. Your moron friend who doesn't know anything about Jesus, and I'm, I'm not picking on your friend here. I'm just trying to, I'm being, speaking hyperbole, trying to make a point isn't the kind of counsel that you're supposed to seek, right? If you have a friend who's lost, who's worldly, who's, who's caught up in all this, stuff, that's not who you're supposed to go to. No, you seek godly counsel. That's, how, that's one way we take all thoughts captive to Christ. You go talk to somebody you know who loves the Lord, and, and so many times we don't do that. 
we go talk to somebody who will validate us. You don't need validation. Boy, this is good. This is a good one. You need to write this down. It's just popped in my head. You don't need validation. You need liberation. And it was good because God gave it to me, not because I came up with it. For those of you who are like, boy, Jerry just got a little cocky. Nope, it was good from the Lord. It was from the Lord. Remember, I prayed that he would bring stuff to my mind that I would forget. You don't need validation. You need liberation. What's, what's another thing? Praying about things. Listen. I'm not going to argue with you. Jesus is who you need to argue with. Prayer is the primary work of God's people. Thank you for the amen. You know, the people that amen, that I know amen, are here at corporate prayer. What we do at 845 on Sunday morning is the primary work of God's people. That's when the main thing happens. Not this. This isn't the main thing. If we don't do the 845 thing, this has no power. If we don't do the 845 thing, the worship has no power. The music, our ministries, our quizzing ministries, our training ground ministries, <coughs> excuse me, our youth group ministries, our women's ministries, our men's ministries, all of those. I mean, I could just keep naming ministries. None of those have power because we haven't sought the one who gives the power. And when you want to argue about prayer being the primary work of God's people, then you need to argue with Jesus, not me. I don't want to hear it anymore. If you come and tell me that prayer is not that important, I'm going to say, just get behind me, Satan. You have your things set on the minds of, of, of mortal men, and things on, on of the here and now and not on the things of God. And I know that's harsh. But hey, Jesus said it to Peter when his, things were set, his mind was set on the ways of the world. And I'm going to say it in the same way lovingly. Hey, you get, you're thinking about men things, not God things. Reading his word. Reading his word. It's another way we take our thoughts captive to Christ. Not that we proof text, okay? That's called eisegesis and stop it. If you're going in and you're trying to find what God says about a certain circumstance every time you read the Bible, quit it. Most of the time in my devotions, God does not speak to me about the current situations going on in my life most of the time. So stop looking for him to do that. It's a really bad way to read your Bible. Okay? Every once in a while, God does that. But you go in and you say, okay, look, rather than trying to randomly look at the scriptures and, and just see and read into whatever I want to about my current situation, you know, I'm struggling with uh, sickness. I've got cancer. And I don't know, you know, what to do about this whole thing. Hey, I know, Ron, that you're, you love Jesus and you're a faithful Christian and you've studied this. Can we sit down and study what God says about healing together? Hey, Dale, you and, and Denise, you know, our kids have gone wild and we see that you guys are having a pretty good success rate, except we're, for with one of them, who's a Cardinals fan. But the rest of them are good. <laughs> the rest of them are good. So can we sit down and talk about what you did with the other ones? And, and how you're leading them to be godly. Okay? See what I'm saying? And we study the word and we, and we go to other people and we take godly counsel. Right? And then, again, descriptive, not prescriptive. My own story. If all else fails, if all else fails, go bowling. Now, we're all laughing, and we should be. But you know how much joy and encouragement I get from the Lord when I'm feeling overwhelmed with life? Because I get to spend time with Nick and Matt and Christine and Joe and Trevor, and I could just keep naming names, and Norma and Shannon and different ones. I get to spend time with them, and some of them, many of them, don't know the Lord yet. And so I get to spend time with them. And spending time with them helps me to put it in proper perspective. 
Because for them that don't know the Lord yet, this earth with all of its trouble, with all of the bad things that are happening, this earth is as close as they're ever going to get to heaven. This is as good as it gets. And guys, that's sad. And it helps me put all of my own struggles and my own trials in proper perspective because I'm born again. And so this earth and all of its troubles and all of the hell that's on it is as close to hell as I'm going to get. Because I have an eternal home. I went into PBI on Thursday night. I started my class. I asked everybody why they were taking the class. Uh, Almost to a man slash woman. Their answers were almost every one of them was so I can get licensed with the Alliance. And I said, it is my goal to change why you do this and this is why you do it. And one of the guys was like, read it, tattoo crew. What does that have to do with anything? They were never going to figure out what it had to do with anything until I told them. Guys, this is the bowling jersey that one of these guys at the, at the bowling alley just gave me. And it helps me put it in proper perspective. And I say, man, I get to go out there and I get to love on these guys. And I get to, I get to put all of this in the proper perspective. And all of a sudden, it's not about my woes and it's not about my troubles and it's not about all the things that are going bad in my life. I get to see that there's an eternal difference that, that is made in my life versus theirs. And I get to see that, you know, all of the problems that I'm having with Mark and I'm holding the bitterness and unforgiveness to Mark is he's a believer and I'm mad at him. And by God, Mark, you better get me my way. <laughs> no, you know, I go, man, that's sin on my part. I need to get over that. Because you know what? Nick doesn't know Jesus. And Christine doesn't know Jesus. And while I'm sitting here demanding to get my stinking Christian way and have my stinking Christian rights, there's people all around us that are going to hell. See, it's what we don't get. It's why Jesus said, go back and preach it again. We got to get over eating each other and demanding our way with each other. Stop it. There are people going to hell. While we sit around and get focused on all this stupid stuff. Helps me put it in perspective. I'm not ever going to quit preaching this message. If you want me to stop preaching that lost people matter to God and he wants them found and that the church primarily exists for those who are not yet its members, you got the wrong guy. I'm not going to stop. If you want me to get focused on all of the all of the bickering and all of the fighting, or if you want me to get focused on my abilities or my disabilities, it is not going to happen. Listen to me. For weeks now, my shoulder and my hand have been throbbing with pain. Two Thursday nights ago, I threw a ball, one ball, one bowling ball, one time without my brace on and thought, I think I just ripped a ligament in my hand and I'm going to have to quit. And I've been going through the pain. I've been driving through the pain. I've been working through it because those people matter. My physical inability or my disability is not going to define me. I mean, come on. It is embarrassing when I bowl with Nick. They put me, I'm not one of their regular team members. They put me on last Thursday night in as their blind substitute because they get a bigger handicap with my score (laughs) when I'm blind. Okay, it's embarrassing. But I'm not going to let that define me. I'm not going to focus on the fact that I stink. I'm going to put it in proper perspective. I'm not ever going to stop preaching this message. I'm not ever going to stop. When we eat each other up, or when we get focused on our disabilities, when we get focused on our inabilities, when we do all of those things, when it's all about woe is me, woe is me, you know what happens? When, when Jeff goes out and reaches somebody for the gospel and he brings them here and they become, they come to worship and then they hear about us griping and complaining and moaning and groaning about all the stuff, they go, huh, I guess nothing is different with Jesus and they leave. 
you know how many people we probably chase off from the faith after they've come in the faith because we're focused on our problems instead of on the one who has solved them all by his grace? If you think that my focus on the eternal is out of control, I want to give you six passages of scripture to look at this week. They're not long. Monday, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Tuesday, Philippians 3, 12 through 15. Wednesday, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. Thursday, Luke 9, 57 through 62. Friday, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. And Saturday, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for us to move on from these problems that threaten to overwhelm us, to take them before the throne of grace and to say, God, change these circumstances. And if you won't change the circumstances, at least change my heart in it. Because there are people out there who are dying and going to hell while I sit here knowing that I'm going to heaven. And yet I won't tell them because I'm so overwhelmed with the problems. God doesn't want, I'm not saying that God wants all these problems in your life. And I'm not saying that we don't deal with them in constructive manners. But we do not let us stop us from doing what we're supposed to do. And you want to talk about bringing people in and keeping people when they see a difference in us. Listen to me. I've been doing my discipleship with Nick for just a few weeks that we've actually been doing discipleship. He's already asked me how he can start giving back. God is changing his heart and it's already becoming not about his problems. And I think what happens is our hearts change and it becomes about not about our problems until we walk through this for a while. And I think the longer we walk in the faith the more we get focused on us. Jesus mentions this in Revelation in the first couple of chapters, first few chapters. He says that we've lost that passion that we first started out with and that we need to return to that. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he's done to reconcile us and the world to him. It's not just about evangelism because we can go out there and evangelize them but we're going to lose them when we go to disciple them and they see that all we do is focus on our problems. Huh, you said this God was big. And now you're sitting here and telling me why he can't show up and why he can't do these things. I don't believe it anymore. And we're going to lose them. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would have your way here today. That you would have your way in each one of us. And that we would no longer focus on the negative things, but that we would follow you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, amen.